Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. We'll be looking in Hebrews chapter 11 this morning, verses 11 and 12. This is God's word. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Let's pray together. Our God and our Father, we thank you for the privilege to be in your house of worship, that we are called into this work of worship. And we pray to you and ask that you would do the work that we cannot, and that is to change our hearts and to transform and renew our minds. So Holy Spirit, we pray, speak for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. If you were with us last week, Pastor Smith was continuing in our series and he preached on his first of two sermons on Abraham. And specifically, he was looking at verse 8 and the call of Abraham to obedience and what it means to walk by faith in obedience. And this morning, we're moving into verse 11, and we're going to consider Sarah. And there's a link, the obvious link, Sarah being Abraham's wife, but there's also another link I would suggest to you. When we look at Abraham in verses 8, 9, and 10, you and I might be tempted to think something of him, specifically something of his faith. He was called to obey, and you and I might be tempted to think he had perfect faith, total faith. He was called, and he left, and he accomplished that which God had called and told him to do. But you and I know that that's not true, and I think Sarah is a picture of that. What we're getting here is what Paul's going to reference to the uh, church at Thessalonica. Faith, it's it's a spiritual grace. And as he's thanking God for them, he's saying, your faith is growing. And so lest we begin this morning and think that what we're talking about when we say walking by faith is that you and I must have perfect faith. Sarah is a picture to help us. It's not about a perfect faith in growth or a perfect faith in in constancy, or even a perfect faith in what it means to achieve results. The question is simply this, do you have faith? And do you have faith in the true and the living God? Your sermon title is printed on the bulletin, says it's it's the product of faith. As I've been meditating over the last 48 hours, I think there might be a better title, a picture a picture of faith. What does a picture of faith look like? What is the product or uh, the pattern of faith? And I think Sarah helps us understand that. And I think to do so, we'll look at three points a personal faith, a powerful faith, and a productive faith. Look with me in verse 11. A personal faith. What does the writer say? By faith, Sarah herself, or Your translation perhaps says Sarah also. And you and I are tempted to keep reading, but I want to draw your attention to stop right here. 
What is the author in Hebrews telling you? By faith, Sarah herself, Sarah herself had to believe. This is meant to counteract and and to correct the error that would say women are debarred and, and they are outside of the privileges and blessings of grace. The writer is intentionally trying to tell you something about Sarah. Now, I must say, this is not a point to say this is how women come to faith. Men take the day off. This is not a Valentine's Day sermon to uh, encourage the women only of this is what it means to be in God's house, God's community. No, Sarah is a picture of faith for all of us. And I want to show you by her personal faith what we're talking about. You know that to be true, don't you? That's what Paul will tell you in Galatians. Why is personal faith important? Because before the Lord, in a spiritual status, we stand on equal grounds. What does he tell you in Galatians 3? There is neither Jew nor Greek, nor slave nor free, nor male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is not my push to say we don't believe and agree with the scriptures on gender differences. This is not what we're talking about. We're talking about personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's meant to say Sarah herself has faith. Now, just as an aside, if you'll permit me, I guess you can't say no as I have the mic. But if you'll permit me, there is something to be said about a believing spouse. The blessing and power of what it means to have a believing spouse. It's of utmost importance. So if you're single in the room, if you're a youth, if you have aim and desire to be married, let me tell you, it is vitally important when you consider a spouse that he or she has faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is vitally important. But I don't want to just stick on the issue of their marriage. I want you to see something unique about Sarah. You see the promise given to Abraham. Genesis 12, 15, 17. Abram and Abraham, you will have a son and there will be many descendants. You recognize just in that promise it was going to take more than Abraham. He was not able to accomplish that on his own, and so Sarah is brought in. But you see, she too has a similar challenge with Abraham. Where did Sarah grow up? Our best understanding would be Ur with the Chaldeans. She was a pagan idolater. That is to say, she she grew up as a non-Christian. She grew up and did not believe in the God of scriptures, of the scripture. She herself had to believe And that's what he says. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive. She had faith. She needed faith. She didn't need Abraham's faith. She couldn't have Abraham believe on behalf of her. Abraham was not strong enough or righteous enough to offer her faith in which that would count as something. She herself had to have faith. Sarah cannot get into heaven just being married to Abraham. 
And so let me pause. Do you have faith this morning? Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you trusted in him? Is Jesus, as he says, the bread of life, the spring of eternal life within you? You know those answers, don't you? You cannot get into heaven on the basis of another. And what does that mean? It means you can't go to heaven because you went to church, even in a pandemic. You cannot get into heaven because you work at a church, because you are a pastor or some other staff. You cannot get into heaven because you went to youth camp or you go to youth group. You cannot get into heaven because you feel bad about your sin. Unless I say, you cannot get into heaven because you prayed a sinner's prayer time and time again. You get into heaven because your faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Do you have faith? You've heard it said that God has many children but no grandchildren. And so as no one can be born for you, no one can be born again for you. Christ himself alone saves. Sarah had to be confronted with the truth of God and the truth of the world. And at that point of crisis, she has to put her faith in God. For her to receive the promised blessing of life. She has personal faith. Secondly, a powerful faith. It says that by faith Sarah herself received power to conceive. What is being said here? Well, first of all, all personal faith is powerful. It's a contradiction in terms to think you have personal faith and it is not powerful. You remember that story. We'll look at it ever so slightly this morning of Sarah and Abraham. They've been promised a child and she doesn't have a child until she's 90 years old. That's what Moses is recounting for us in Genesis. And that son is Isaac. And that's why the author is trying to tell you something. He actually says it twice, doesn't he? She has power to conceive even when she was past the age. Sarah does not have the ability to have children. Therefore, from one man, verse 12, and him as good as dead. It's not talking about his physical state, meaning he's about to die. He physically doesn't have the ability to give children either. There's an inability to accomplish that which God has called them to do. That what God has promised to do. It's powerful. And we are not to try to understand that this is a, a, a sense in which we see God's power in which he works in spite of or outside of somebody's ability. This is, not, this is not a Genesis 1 moment where in the beginning God created. Out of nothing he created something. No, this is a different kind of power and one that is most alive today if you and I would but believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That, what, that is what Paul says in Romans 1. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it is the power, the dynamite of God. It's that same word here. It's the dynamite of God to do something 
which we cannot do. This is God powerfully working, not outside of, but inside of or through someone's personal faith. Personal faith is powerful faith. And what is this power? Well, he says it's the power to conceive. Now that word there is a little bit confusing. That word conceive shows up 11 times in the New Testament. Actually, three times in the book of Hebrews. But it's not translated conceive. Do you know how it's translated? Foundation. Foundation. Hebrews chapter 4 and Hebrews chapter 9, you, you get the picture of the foundation of the world. And what are we to understand in Hebrews chapter 11? It's a deposit. It's powerful deposit in which she can have a foundation, the beginning of what? A nation. That was the promise given to Abraham. That is the promise given to Sarah. It is powerful workings in which she cannot do it on her own, but because of God, through her faith, she will begin the work of a nation. It's powerful faith. But you and I know that story well, don't you? It didn't begin that way. God doesn't show up and tell Abraham, I'm going to give you a son, and he get excited, and it just come right away, does it? No, you see, in Genesis 12, when God brings about this covenant and promises an heir, he's 75 years old, comes back in Genesis 15, possibly 20, 25 years. Abram, you're going to have an heir. Do you remember what he says at that point? God, I'm childless. I have no offspring. But God says, you will have a son. You will have an heir. And you can imagine that dinner table conversation that night, can't you? Abraham comes home. Sarah, he's, he said it again. We're going to have a child. And you can imagine how she responds. I don't think so. How is this going to work? Nothing around us says that that is possible. And so what happens? Sarah says, we understand God's will. Take my servant Hagar and she will give you a son. What's Sarah doing? She's saying, I want God's will, but I want it my way. That's not faith. That's unbelief. That's where we begin. And what is the result? It's Ishmael. And I want to make it clear. That's what happened to Sarah when she says, I want God's will and I want it my way. Ishmael. And that's what happens for you and me. When we say, I want God's will, but I want it my way. It comes up again. It's a powerful reminder. What does it mean to have an Ishmael, not that you need to turn there, but the story picks up in Genesis chapter 18, and this is what we read. God is coming to visit Abraham in the form of some servants. They said to him, that is them speaking to Abraham, where is Sarah, your wife? And he, Abraham, said, she is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. 
and Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were told advanced or were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out, and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you. About this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. You see, what's happening here is this is the part in which God has told Abraham, You are going to have an heir, and it's going to come through Sarah. But do you know what has already happened? They've already had Ishmael. He is growing up. Sarah knows who he is. And to be confronted by the Lord, you will have a child, but you must look at the consequences of your sin. That's the same truth for you and I. When we decide to say, I want God's will for my life, but I will do it my way, do not be surprised when there's a picture of your sin in front of you. As a reminder, that is not faith. That is unbelief. comes a point, doesn't it, when you and I have to wrestle with that question. How will God do it? What will he do? Because what is Sarah's response when God says this? She laughs. You understand it's not a, ha-ha, this is funny moment. This is sarcastic. This is a, yeah, right, whatever. I don't begin to believe that this is true. And then you see the marriage of personal and powerful faith. What does the Lord say in verse 14? Is anything too hard for the Lord? That's what he's saying. You you don't believe I can do this? Is there something too difficult for me to accomplish? This is not a conversation between Sarah and Abraham. Abraham is not reporting to Sarah what God has already done. No, this is a conversation between Sarah and God himself. And she is being confronted. Do I believe that he is able to do what he has promised? Or do I think it rests on my shoulders? Unless we think he's forgotten, you pick it up in Genesis chapter 21, and what happens? It says God visits Sarah again, and he accomplishes that which he promised. They have a son named Isaac. Now, you and I could probably stop right here and begin asking questions. This is a good children's story. I understand. I am not pregnant. I'm not trying to get pregnant. I don't have any of these kind of scenarios in front of me. How does this picture, how does this personal and powerful faith apply to me? What is the practice of faith, as you could ask yourself here? Well, consider the words of Jesus. I think there's a New Testament expression of what you see here in Genesis chapters 18 and 21. It's found in Matthew chapter 17. There's a, there's a father. He has a son. His son is sick. You know that story. He's an epileptic. He comes to Jesus. My son is sick. He continually falls in the fire and in the water. I took him to your disciples. I'm looking for healing. They tried, and they couldn't. 
And so Jesus takes the son and heals him, doesn't he? And then it's that conversation between Jesus and the disciples. They're curious. How? How did you do it? And we could not. Do you remember his answer? Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Do you hear it? Is anything too hard for the Lord? It's an issue of faith. What is Jesus' point? He's picking on the smallest seed. And yes, there are scholars who try to argue that wasn't the smallest seed at the time. It was the smallest known seed. If there would have been a smaller one, he would have used that one. Don't get hung up on the mustard seed. Jesus is saying to them, it's not the amount of your faith or the size of your faith that counts. If that were the case, he would have said, you need faith the size of a mountain. But what does he say? It's not the size of your faith. It's the size of your God. You see, if you have little faith in a big God, watch out. Look. But if you have big faith in a little God, keep playing church. Try harder. Expect something different on your own behalf. To see what, to see God work to see God work in your life that cannot be explained. It needs, it demands faith. Personal and powerful faith. Thirdly, a productive faith. A productive faith. Look in verse 12. We're to understand that faith can do more than what can be done in our flesh. And so the writer to Hebrews says, Therefore, in other words, here is the result of the faith. What is he referencing? What is therefore, therefore? It's that last portion of verse 11. Because Sarah considered him faithful who had promised. How does our faith work? What makes it productive? It's God. God makes our faith work. God makes it productive. Do you see what Sarah is doing here according to the writer of Hebrews? Her faith is not so much in the promise, but in God himself. True faith, it does take the promise or promises of God, but it continues to rest on God until what was promised actually happens. That is what Hebrews tells you right beforehand. In verse 36 in chapter 10, what do we read? For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. It is a resting on God as he has presented himself in the scriptures until he accomplishes that which he promised. It's, it's a Proverbs 3 illustration. Trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding. It says... Luther said one time, if you would trust God, you must learn to crucify the question how. If, if you were to trust God, you must learn to crucify the question how. When we ask the question how, we're trying to manage what God can do. 
And we're trying to pave a way in which he has to work. If it doesn't fit within our reason, then it cannot be possible. And Luther is saying, the how question is not important. It's the who. Do you trust in God? And so Sarah, she's being strengthened in her faith, not because Abraham has faith, but because she has faith. And her response, it's a demonstration for what productive faith looks like, active faith looks like. She goes beyond, you might say, the promise. She goes beyond the promise of God. And for sure, she would have held on to it. She would have constantly thought about it. He said he's going to do this. When? What is it going to mean? How is it going to look? I'm still waiting. He promised within a year's time, so maybe she didn't know 365 days were in a year, but I'm sure they had some kind of tally mark. We've got to be one day closer. How is this going to work? But when she decides that that is of less importance, and when I put my faith, my reflection, my meditations on God himself, it's as though the troubles go away. They're present, but they don't seem to be as powerful anymore because of the one who orchestrates all of it. She finds her rest, you might say, in God. It's looking beyond the promise to the promiser. That's true for you and me too, isn't it? When we would meditate on the character of God, what is that result? I think Isaiah tells it to you. It's peace. You and I have peace when we give ourselves wholly or fully to the Lord. Isaiah says, you keep in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. That's what it means to go beyond the promise to the promiser. As you focus your life, your attention on God. You know the story well. I I know you do. And we know the end result. It's recorded for us in Scripture. But I want you to see something about Sarah's productive faith. There's no way Sarah could have estimated the fruit that would come from her life. She had no idea that generations, and in a few more generations, and in a few more generations, ultimately we would see the Christ child. She would not have known that. She could not have estimated such fruit. Neither can you or I. We can't tell what God's going to do in our life or through our lives. We can't estimate what good he will have on society, our family, our neighbors, our work. We can't estimate it And that's not the point. That's also not what we have been called to do. Today, the issue is not are you married to an Abraham? Are you a Sarah? Do you have personal, powerful faith in the true and living God? Because what Genesis is telling you, all the planning that Abraham and Sarah had It mattered not because God had to promise, God had to initiate, God had to give power, God had to work through his own means to accomplish what he had promised. And that pattern is still true 
today. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Faith honors God. God honors faith. We must have personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's powerful. And it's a continual one when we would rest upon the promiser. One man says it, faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. There is no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. Faith begins where man's power ends. Lest you and I think we have a lot of power, look at Abraham and Sarah. There's not much power. What is he saying? You trust in God. We're talking about walking by faith, the, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction for things not seen. And we have to understand that faith is to believe what we do not see. And the reward of faith is to see what we believe. That's what God is doing. What does that look like for you and me? I thought of looking up several stories, and there are several and sharing them with you. Let me show you how God works so powerfully. But it dawned on me, if I did that, you and I are tempted to try to imitate so-and-so. We want our life to be like that person. We begin to imagine, if I was just like that, then this could be the result. And we fail to understand, no, God can still use you the same way. He can work in the same personal, powerful, and productive way in and through your life. The issue is you have to answer a few questions. Number one, do you trust in Jesus? Do you have faith in the living God? And if so, what's your vision? What's your vision for your life? Officers, what's your vision for this church? What do you believe that God can do then how are you going to orchestrate your life to watch it happen? What are the patterns and practices in your life to see God work? If you're looking for practical applications, I'll make them quite simple. Open your Bible and read it. Pray. Come, I'm begging you, come to Wednesday night, prayer and devotion. You want to watch God work? Then watch God's people on their knees. You want to see faith? You come and pray with God's people. You come to Sunday school. You come to the Lord's Day worship. You actively engage in the work of God. He has made promises. You don't even need me to outline them for you. They're all throughout Scripture. But it's yours and my responsibility to take them and put them in action. And I want you to understand there is and are no such thing as spiritual superheroes. So if that's how you see these people, you have misunderstood the God of this Bible. We do not have spiritual superheroes. James goes as far as to tell you, Elijah was a man with a nature just like you and me. Lest we believe God can't work. He was no different than you or me. The issue is simply this. Those who make history, those who make history are the ones who submit to the one who orchestrates it. That's personal, powerful 
and productive faith. May God grow us as such. Let me pray to that end. Our God and our Father, how we thank you that your word is honest and and true, that it shows us our need for faith, justified faith in Christ, and that our lives are to be built upon that faith, the faith that is revealed in your word. In grace, we pray, grow us in faith, show forth your power in and through our faith. And may we be found faithful, productive in our faith until you would call us home where Christ returns. And all for Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.